Chase is alive. He killed my friend, now he's coming for me. He's got a death curse. Jason's a legend. I'm Mrs. Warrior, an old friend of the Christie's. Jason belongs in hell. You're joining me if you stay here. Never come back again. You see, Jason was away Sunday, and today is his birthday. Alright, for tonight's episode, this is basically a follow-up to episode number 86 from last year with Vincent DeSanti, the writer and director of the Friday the 13th fan film Never Hike Alone. On that episode, Vince gave us some details on what we could expect to see on his take on our favorite franchise. The film was released back on October 13th, 2017, and as of this recording, will have been out for about four months now and has already had over 105,000 views. So tonight, I would like to welcome back my friend Vincent DeSanti to talk about all the things we couldn't talk about before, and of course, some current thoughts and reactions to the film. So Vince, glad to have you back. You know, you're always welcome here at Return to Camp Blood. Thanks for having me, Nathan. I'm glad I came in at the right time this time. (laughs) Hey, there you go. But uh, yeah, so let's just kick this off. I mean, it's obviously been out for a little while. I wanted to wait give plenty of people chances to react and reviews and all that good shit. So been out almost four months now, over 105,000 views. So just to kick things off with that in mind, 105 K where, what are your thoughts on that? When you, when you hit the release button back on October 13th, where did you think you would be down the road? Are you over or under in views? I mean, I think I'm about right where I thought I'd be. Um, you know, a hundred thousand was kind of like where I really wanted to get it to. I wanted to get into that six, you know, that six figure kind of land and let it go there. Um, and you know, it, it was weird. It was, you know, we released the night, it, we went to Telluride and we released that night. And as I got out of the screening and I started to watch, I, I it's really addicting to watch the views just kind of jump up and, and the comments kind of spring up. And I think that that's, that's what's meant the most is that there's a lot of videos and things that I, that I've looked at and I've gone on YouTube and I've seen things with like a million videos, but they only have like a thousand comments. I mean, we're, we're already at a thousand comments at a hundred thousand views, uh, 5,000 likes, like all these different, like people are actually engaging in it. And I think that that's been the, the best part because people are talking about it. Um, and I think, and for me, it, it's just amazing to see so many other people react to it, especially because some people knew about it going into it, but, to see now that we were able to show what we were up to that um, that it kind of hit and spread and, and, you know, it, it spread around the Friday the 13th community the way we wanted it to. And that's who we were making it for. And we seem to be getting some fringe horror fans as well who aren't enjoying it. So, I mean, I'm pretty happy with the result. Yeah, definitely. I kind of figured that it would be a little higher because of all the buzz prior your Kickstarter mm-hmm. did kick ass and there there was a ton of Friday fans on board. So I kind of thought it would be a little bit higher, mm-hmm. but I have to say over a hundred thousand, it's still like, wow, that's, that's fucking awesome. And Landon and I both got to see it early to, for review purposes. And mm-hmm. obviously, you know, that we did a thoughts episode recently and you listened to that. So, you know, our basic thoughts and so on and mm-hmm. so forth with that, which we'll get into some specifics later. And there's not much criticism with this film, which is amazing because people just rip the shit out of some of the other Fridays. And I've heard I was some people, say especially for a Friday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know how harsh the Friday fans can be. And mm-hmm. a lot of people went on to say, I've heard it more than once, that to them, this is number 13 
in the 13th installment. This is the number 13 to them. So to me, that speaks volumes. And it's just like, wow, I, I, I mean, I'm just so happy that, that the community has taken so great to it. And just a big congratulations on your success. Thank you. And, and, you know, I mean, that's how we feel. I mean, we're, we're so proud that, you know, so many Friday fans have come out and supported the film and really like, you know, rallied behind it and, and accepted it and considered it, you know, consider it canon, you know, all these different things. And obviously we're a fan film where we do, we are, you know, we are a rogue nation <laughs> of Friday the 13th. So, you know, we'll never really be that big part of it. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know. It's been a long time since we've we've all kind of sat around the tube and watched a Friday the 13th that we all could kind of just sit back and enjoy. And it wasn't trying to figure too many things out. It wasn't trying to rewrite the rule book. It was just a simple Friday the 13th movie. And we could all sit down and enjoy Friday the 13th. And I think that, I don't know, that was kind of the biggest accomplishment of it all was that like we hit that date. We, we actually made fans happy. Um, and so, yeah, we're, you know, it elated by that. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing. I expected a lot more criticism, especially with the way that Jason looked and the mask and, you know, just different things because you're, you know, when you're out there and you're working on with a $40,000 budget and, and even though that's like way more than most fan films and, you know, way less than a lot of things, you're, you're in this weird spectrum of like things could go expensively horribly wrong. <laughs> so I mean, it's definitely it, going into it. It was definitely like a big fear of mine. Like, man, I really hope we didn't miss the mark. I hope people appreciate, you know, what we've done here. And I think people have been forgiving too. You know, I think they 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 know it's that quality of, of film. But at the same time, we you can see the effort and passion went in to try and elevate it as far as we could. Absolutely. And there's always going to be the shit talkers out there. And we'll get to some of that <laughs> criticism a little bit later. But Lando and I were talking right before we started recording and I, I want Lando to, to pipe in here. And, and if you recall what you said about some of the latter films in the series compared to this film, if you could kind of give an overview about what we talked about then. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a kind of situation where you never want anybody to take it the wrong way because I mean, I, I love Kane Hodder. And when I say that it's not an exaggeration, I'm just saying it's that age old thing is you hear people talk all the time about the Kane Hodder's Friday films he was in four of them, and everyone's like, if Kane was so great, then why did his movies suck so much? And not all of them did, but I'm saying once you get past the new blood, they really kind of went a different direction. But I'm just saying, mm -hmm. like, the last three that Kane was in, I look at this, I look at Never Hike Alone, I look at that, that, that's easily better than any of those. And, you know, you like the idea of canon and whatnot. It's just as a fan, you look at it, it was, it was that. It, was, it kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, when The Force Awakens came out. I remember I left that some friends of mine that asked, you know, how was it and everything? And I told them for the first time in a long time, I felt like I just saw a Star Wars movie. And mm. with Never Hike Alone, that's how I felt. I was like, that's the Friday the 13th. You know, that's something that that's what we've been waiting for. And I mean, mm. I can't think of a, a better compliment to drop other than that. It's just that, uh, you know, you hit the mark. My, my biggest question for you would just be <laughs> as much time and effort and the focus you had going into did you ever have that moment as a fan where you step back and you're like you know i'm playing i'm playing jason Voorhees, or i mean i know like the, I, when i first had watched it i didn't look at anything on imdb or anything so when tom matthews popped up i had like i i'm not gonna sit here and say i screamed but i had a moment where i was like <laughs> holy shit you know that made i was i was loving it already but then it, it was like giddy and but did you have a moment like that yourself as you're making it that you know Tommy Jarvis is on set you know you're playing Jason and I mean just how much fun did you have as a fan doing this? 
Um, there was a moment while we were filming the ambulance scene where uh, we were we were rehearsing um, the uh, the maggot headline, and somebody told me afterwards after we were done filming, they were like, "You should have seen yourself when you were standing in front of that monitor." And he said that line like you were smiling so hard, and and it was. I mean, like we were like I just you know it was kind of that moment where you're like, "Wow!" Like not only did like, I could sense that, like, I can't, like, not only from the sense that he was saying it, but I was like, I can't wait for people to see this. <laughs> like, I cannot wait to share this with people and have them do this. I mean, we actually did a table read about a week before where that, I mean, we were trying to work with something on the line and it wasn't written that way at the table read. It was kind of like, we had a bunch of stuff that we ended up crossing out and, and really working on and make sure it was kind of refined. Um, mm -hmm. But we came up with that that line there and it was tom and barry i think barry pitched part of that line and tom came up with some of it and it was kind of based on what i was trying to go for and and, and they nailed it and susie said that you know the remember me asshole like <laughs> it was like i don't know it was just like icing on the cake and and just seeing that and having them do it and i think what was most exciting as a fan was there was a moment where like we were sitting there and i was i was giving tom direction and I think what was, was most rewarding to me is that it wasn't like my biggest fear is like, this guy's going to come on set and I'm going to just embarrass him or he's going to be embarrassed to be here or something like that. But it couldn't have been like any more opposite. He was so gracious the entire time he was on set. He was, he's a ham. He's so funny. Um, he was making everybody <laughs> laugh, you know, doing funny things in between takes. And, you know, when I talked to him, he listened and, you know, we connected from, you know, from the moment we met back in like, January of last year um, and the continuing kind of back and forth that we've had, you know, never once has Tom, you know, ever been anything but supportive, you know, and he's always been a champion of the idea and a champion of the project. And, you know, he's been so much fun to work with and it was crazy having to like hold that secret. I did tell Nathan, like I had to tell somebody. <laughs> um, and so we had kind of talked about that behind the scenes and I had talked about, you know, how things are working out. Um, but that whole experience has been really great. And we, we keep in touch now. I mean, I don't know if, I mean, I don't know if you guys saw, but I mean, like we can't go after, we don't know what we can really do for like a Never Hike Alone 2 if, you know, we'd love to make one and Tom's on board. Uh, so is Andrew. And we talk about it all the time because we have a story. We know what we want to do. It's been based on kind of what we were doing in Never Hike Alone 1 and spurned out of getting to know Tom and, you know, the way we talked about Tommy and stuff like that. Um, uh -huh. And so we keep in touch about that all the time because we legitimately want to find a way to do it. Um, we just know we can't do it the way we did it before because that version of a movie deserves more than kind of the fan film budget. It needs a legit budget. I'm not saying 20 million. I'm saying like an old school Friday the 13th, couple million. Let's go out there indie indie style and make a really good Friday the 13th film for the fans. Hmm. Yeah. And Vince and I got to meet up and have some beers right after Christmas. And obviously I'm not going to give any details, but mm -hmm. he did, he did give me a little bit of information about the idea for number two. And I have to say that it, if it does come together, it's going to be badass. People are going to love mm -hmm. it. But speaking yeah. of Tom, yeah. now, did, did Tom ever give you his opinion as far as what you did with the character? Was he like, Oh, I think it's great that Tommy's, an EMT or did he ever mm -hmm. give his thoughts on that? Oh yeah. No, he was totally on board with that. We sat down um, a couple times and we talked about where the character was. There was a moment when I was trying to play safe 
I would say. And we, and I kind of pitched like, well, you can do a cameo, but maybe we won't, we won't have you do Tommy that way. People don't try to confuse it or do anything like we'll have you do it. And then we'll just, and that character was going to die. And at that moment he was like, no, man, he's like, you can use Tommy, like have it be Tommy. Um, and let's figure out. And I was like, okay. And I was like, well, I've been thinking about it. And Tommy makes sense as an EMT to me. I mean, like, you know, his connection with, you know, so much tragedy, he might actually fit well as a first responder and find relief in that saving people's lives, going out every night and trying to save the day, kind of, you know, reliving that moment that he keeps reliving in his head. It helps him deal with it somehow. And, you know, having his team and being to go out there and, and help every way they can, it seems like a life that would make sense to him. And in Crystal Lake, it would make even more sense because if he's trying to keep an eye on things, what better way to be than on the first responding team? He's going to hear all the police calls. He's going to hear everything else. So it's his way of, of kind of like working through his stuff, <laughs> as you could say, like trying to wonder, wondering if, you know, because prior to this, he's wondering if Jason's still out there. He knows he's not on the chain down in Camp Crystal Lake anymore, and but no one's seen him. So it's, you know, it, it can kind of get, it can get interesting like that. Oh, for sure. I was just curious as to what his thoughts are. I do remember back in the summer when you did, when you showed me what was kind of what was going on, you didn't give all the details, but you're like, here, check mm -hmm. this out. And I was like, holy shit, that's awesome. Yeah. And I told Lando and I, I just said, hey, when you watch this, you're going to be blown away. I, there's a cameo in there and I'm just going to leave it at that. And he didn't, he didn't try to ask any more information. He just said, okay, cool. And then of course, what? three three months later than the film yeah. three or four months later the film finally comes out and i think his first words to me were like holy shit that ending so yeah, <laughs> yeah. which which you just said that lando anyway when you saw the cameo which like i said i told yeah. you you're gonna shit when you see it well i remember even when i wrote the review for you know hgo i mean that was kind of the idea i mean at that conclusion the last five plus minutes of this movie to me is just the most satisfying really a any Friday the 13th I've seen, you know, the way they've ended, sometimes you're like, yeah, it's kind of, you know, cookie cutter, and yeah, we're getting used to that, you know, leaving it open-ended and everything, but this one was really like, fuck, man, that was, that was, that was satisfying. It wasn't just like good, you felt satisfied. You know, it, it really hit the mark. And that was something else that I, I, I wanted to talk about a little bit, is just you go in, you're doing a fan film for Friday the 13th, you know, we've already talked about Time Matthews and having him around. You You obviously want to make references have these little Easter eggs to the past films and whatnot. But that's kind of like, I would think that, that would be a real delicate balancing act is like, cause I think what you guys did really well is you made references to numerous things, but they were all very subtle. There was nothing in, in your face. It's, you know, just like a slap in the face. It was like the diehard fans picked up on it and then you moved on. You didn't sit and linger on that, but how hard was it to be like, this is what we want to do, but we don't want it to be too much. We want it to be subtle. How, how did you pull that off? I guess it was looking at what we had, and then figuring out how Easter eggs could fit in and just thinking naturally about the set in a way, you know, I mean, like, you know, coming up with something, I mean, I know this was an Easter egg, but to me, like Steve Christie, the way he touches Alice's hair, he's kind of a perv, <laughs> like, and so I was like, hey, this guy would hide Playboys in the office somewhere. <laughs> so like that came, like that was inspired by like Steve Christie being, you know, as Andrew says, like a dirty dog. Um, and and stuff like that. So we tried to think of like the way that like there's when you walk into Kevin Bacon's or one of the bunk bedrooms, 
um, yeah. there's a painting hanging up and I hung up that painting. Like there's things that like I hung up that painting because I know Adrian King paints and that I think Alice was an artist and did stuff and might've been painting and hung one up in one of the cabins. So like there were things like, like that. I tried to think about the characters that we knew from part one and put their personality through set. Um, and the only thing I wanted to call out attention to were the ribbons because those were the most obvious things because those are the, are the death scenes. And with the, you know, the tools that we had and the rooms that we had, try to recreate as closely as possible where those uh, crime scenes could have been in relation to the camp that we were shooting at compared to what was Noby Bosco's kind of layout. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Easter eggs were great. I'd, I'd have to say my probably one of my favorites was some yellow spray painting. <laughs> Wait, where was in in the in the bathroom? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, was that like? The, but was the, that from our behind the scenes, or was that in the uh, in the film? The the, uh, the the enchilada spray painting. Yeah, yeah. In the bathroom, we spray painted uh, uh, demon damn enchiladas. Demon was here, and that was in our outhouse, <laughs> and that's where everybody had to go to the bathroom. Um, it was pretty funny. We, we had to get like one of those little ported toilets. Like we, we couldn't get a portage on or anything out there. We had like one of those camping toilets that we just stuck in the outhouse of the camp. It was just like, it was not the most ideal of, of shooting situations. Uh, I'll just say that, but we had a pretty tough crew that would just, you know, they just went with it and you know, it, it just kind of is what it is. And we all got used to it and, and had a lot of fun. Oh, I'm sure it was a great time. And before we, we move any further, I've been seeing some stuff, and of course, you've mentioned you've been going back up, essentially restoring the shooting location. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah. um, One of the things we wanted to do, because the locals were kind enough to let us shoot up there, is make sure that when we leave it, that it was in a better condition than when we found it. And so, you know, just being up there, moving things around, I mean, there's a lot of broken glass um, from up there already. All the windows are sharded. Like, I cut my arm while I was up there, and, you know, we like I don't know. I kind of like being up there too. It's a nice place to kind of hang out and go hiking. So we figured it might be nice to, you know, go up there and kind of room by room, you know, piece by piece, knock out all the glass, clean it up, pick up all the wood that's all over the place and all the trash that's been left up there and just make it a place where if hikers want to go up there and and walk through there, they're not doing it at risk of cutting themselves or stepping on a rusty nail or something like that. We figured that that's kind of like a way that we can say thank you because Basically, because the locals gave us a pass, we were able to film up there for basically free. Um, you know, we didn't have to pay a location fee to be there. They just said, take care of the place. And so this is our way of saying thank you. Yeah, yeah. So essentially, anybody that's in the area in California can just stop up and visit the set with any time they want. It's basically just yeah. open to the public. Yeah, no, it's open to the public. You got to know where you're going. We're not going to reveal the location yet because we'd like to finish cleaning up before people start wandering around. But there are pieces of the Never Hike Alone set still up there. Um, the the bunk bed set is intact 100% from the film. Um, the attic set's pretty much intact. Uh, we've done some fun things with the uh, the main cabin, um, but we want to make it so you can walk through and kind of see it. It's like a kind of a live-in tour <laughs> if, if people awesome. want to do do that do the trek. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. Now, being that it is open to the public, I know you and I have had, had some conversations about passerbys or whatever, but maybe you can fill in on a little story, maybe a story or two, because I'm sure that while you're filming, you have people that are around hikers or people passing by. So I'm sure you've got some sort of story you can share about that while you're filming. 
Yeah, I mean, we've had we had a couple people walk through. I mean, there was one time where like these people just drove through in a truck, and you really need to know that the camp is up there to drive up there. So we didn't know who these people were, and they just kind of drove around. Um, and then there was a couple who walked through, like a couple of locals who were just kind of like doing their daily hike, and they came up to see what we were doing. And when they found out they were making a film, they were like, "Oh, that's really cool," and and talking to us. And in that conversation, let us in on a story that like like maybe three years prior to shooting up there um the uh the dea had to run a drug cartel out of that area because they were growing and i think maybe cooking meth probably somewhere on that site or growing marijuana so they were wondering when they started seeing cars going back up there again they started getting worried they thought the drug cartel was back but they're like if you ever see anyone drive up with a bunch of ak-47s you might want to run and i was like oh god it's like we're gonna end up in a movie ourselves. It's like it's either we're gonna get some psycho killer that's already here that we don't know about, or we're gonna get killed by the cartel. I was like, either way, we're making this movie. There's yeah, it's almost like a, a reverse Tropic Thunder movie. You're there making a horror movie, but next thing you know, here's the <laughs> cartel or somebody else, and now they're killing you. I know. I know. I gotta sell that story to Lifetime. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But yeah, so let's talk let's talk about some of the things that I've been seeing on social media and some of the bitches or complaints whatever. Like I said, you're going to have your haters and you've you've seen, you know exactly some of the stuff I'm going to say, so we'll just put you on the firing squad a little bit and let you go to bat and some of the <laughs> things I would I would go to bat for you because people just don't don't get it. And of course you had mentioned earlier things about Jason, well the size of Jason and this that and mm-hmm. the other. And and I can say that I've I've seen you in person. You're not a small person by any means. Now you might not be six foot seven and you know two hundred and seventy pounds or whatever, but there's certainly no no reason. I mean, seeing some of the pictures, pictures are deceiving. So mm-hmm. if you look at a picture of you, say next to Derek Mears or you next to somebody else, and then you look at yourself next to maybe somebody a little stockier built like Kane Hodder, depending on the clothing that you're wearing, depending on a Jason style of costume. And of course, photos can be deceiving. And some of the photos that I looked at originally, I thought Jason does look on the thinner side, but I didn't think really anything bad about it because Jason in 2009, of course, Derek Mears character is on the leaner side. And of Mm -hmm. course, Richard Brooker was on the leaner side and wore muscle shirts. So I have to go to bat for you on that and say that that's just people talking shit. You can say whatever you want, but there's nothing wrong with the way that Jason looked. No, I mean, like I knew people would have, I mean, we did, we, we had to come up with our own looks. Um, I mean, we still got, we even got comments about the, the jacket and the Freddie versus Jason kind of look. And, and actually like, it was kind of funny to hear the Freddie versus Jason argument. Cause I was like, that's not really what I was going for. I was actually, even though it's a Freddie versus Jason style with the jacket, I was like, that kind of started in, in Jason X. That's the first time he ever wore a jacket. Um, it's very small and it was kind of there, but at that time, like, Kane was a little rounder um, and it kind of like sat up in a, in a weird way on him. And then they started throwing these giant coats on Jason, like Freddie versus Jason coat is very, very big, very, very bulky. Um, in, in the remake, it was, again, it was a, like almost like a trench coat. And I was like, I just feel like that's too stylized. That's too cool. Like it's not, it shouldn't be that thing. I, I kind of wanted to see a, a hybrid version of like the Dickie shirt with that, with that style of jacket. So we've got that kind of style of jacket, put it on, put the sweater on underneath it. Um, but really wanted to go with like a, a Jason look that wasn't yoked out either. I mean, there's no squat racks at uh, Camp Crystal Lake. He's not there doing deadlifts. He's carrying dead bodies. He's doing some stuff. He's naturally big, but 
I tried to play off as much as my own. And because the costume was built to me, I can only work to my natural body. Um, I did lift. I, I got bigger for the film. I probably gained like 10, 15 pounds in muscle. Um, and so did Brian. Brian got bulked up and, and we, you know, wore the proper padding and stuff like that for stunts, which made us even bulkier. Um, so I'd say like in the costume, we were standing there probably around 6'4", 230, 240, which I think is a good size for Jason. I think Jason can get too big, too bulky. I think that, you know, I look for something in the Ted White range. Um, CJ's gigantic in it, but like he carries it well. And even though he's large, he kind of has like a nice, you know, he doesn't have like a, a thick frame. So I kind of like that, Jason. I like a tall Jason. I like a, a Jason with limbs, you know what I mean? Something that's going to swing and move and not be just like one little mass, but like, you know, something with moving parts. I think that Ted White brought that a lot out in his performance. And we wanted to have that. We wanted to have the natural movements, make Jason think a little bit, um, you know, make him curious, make him, you know, he, he, you know, you see him figuring things out. I think that that was a lot of fun to design with him. So it, a lot of it goes into it. So I don't know. I, I, I know that people kind of like will pick on this and that, but people our our Jason was pretty big. Yeah, definitely. And I understand exactly what you were going for. And I had no issues with it whatsoever because I know people will just talk shit anyway. But if you look at the size of prior Jason actors, you're right on par with them for the most part. I think mm -hmm. Landon and I on our uh, overview or thoughts episode had basically compared it to the 2009 film. If I remember correctly, Lando. Yeah, I think so. So like you said, I mean, I think that that's, there's something about that, just what you talk about Ted White and then Derek Mears. It's just the idea of a Jason that can, that can get around, right? It's not just this, mm -hmm. he's not bulky and he's not just mm -hmm. kind of lumbering around. It's the idea of like, you know, you take off, he can catch your ass. And I think that there's mm -hmm. something, you know, it's really, really terrifying about that. I had no qualms at all. But I know you were you touched on it a little earlier, and I just have to throw it out there. The you know Freddy versus Jason, it's a good time. But I mean the uh, the look of Jason in that film is shit. And I think it would just be nice if more people actually just came out and actually said that. I'm sorry, I just had to throw my two cents out there. It's just the look for Kurzinger was just ridiculous. So anyway, your your look for this movie was just fine. Yeah, we wanted to make it meaner. I feel like I feel like Freddy versus Jason kind of gave it a PG monster type look like you were doing like monster squads frankenstein version of jason and it, it friendly it didn't the what i call it oafish i thought he <laughs> i thought he was oafish in freddy versus jason almost yeah, no, like no. it was like a, a mm -hmm. you know a comic book character yeah yeah our, our goal was to definitely make jason mean that was part of the mask too i mean the, the mask without the chevron and just the white and just the black eyes there was just something really mean and kind of haunting about it I was like, I, this is going to be our look. Like, if Roy has blue chevrons, we have no chevrons because we're not legit. <laughs> but, like, so that's going <laughs> to be our mark. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the way I kind of thought about it in my head. I was like, this is how we're going to, this is, you know, if, if people want to differentiate us from the series and we can make our own mark, like, let's come up with our own style. And I think that that was kind of part of it was let's do something different, but let's do the Friday the 13th that we think could be made that would, you know, feel like the old one but still give you new stuff and like and kind of go from there so that was also part of jason's design and, and that kind of thinking yeah that's totally that, understandable yeah well sorry nate uh, i know you we have, you and i talked about it before it's just like but the diehard fans and whatnot it's the subtlety of like the movements of jason so people mm -hmm. who the criticism the first and only thing that comes to my mind is you know toward the conclusion of the film with 
the ambulance and, you know, Matthews gets back and, you know, it's the maggot, maggot head situation and the way your head jerked up. You know, mm-hmm. it was the fact that you didn't just kind of glance up or anything. It was like this jerk. And that was something that to me, you know, over the, what, the last five or six films, that was something, you know, that's how Jason reacted whenever he would hear someone say his name or anything like that. And I thought that was spot on. Mm-hmm. And it's just like when people want to sit and nitpick about things like that, that's that's a little harder, you know, to replicate, to get exactly right. And I mean, how many people who've played Jason have people really felt were exactly mm-hmm. spot on to what we wanted to be? I mean, you talk about Brooker and Ted White, you know, Kane Hodder and CJ. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are the best of the best. And, you know, you, you guys were right there with that. I mean, it was uh, the movements and, you know, the mannerisms that were all consistent with what we've come to expect Jason to be. So, I mean, I thought it was it was quite good, actually. Oh, thanks. You want to want John to jump into some of the other? Uh, what else, what else you got for me? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, well, yeah, we'll move on to a couple other things. For one, and I and I would have to agree, but I understand that that's just the way that it is. I've seen a couple mm-hmm. people mention. Well, it doesn't even really look like Camp Crystal Lake. It looks like they're up in Oregon or the Pacific Northwest or whatever. And it's like, okay, well, they are in California, and the trees obviously do look a little bit different. So mm-hmm. that's to me something that you just look past. Because obviously, East Coast and West Coast, you've you've been to the East Coast, you know that there are two different places, and the landscaping does look different. So to me, that was something that I just brushed off and just took it for what it was. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, we're obviously we're in California. That's where we're going to film it. Most of the Friday the Thirteenth films were filmed in California, uh, more than any other state. <laughs> um, I know it's supposed to look like Jersey. Um, or New England or, or something in that area. And if I had my choice, I probably would have shot this thing in New England with, you know, all the money in the world. But um, I got to say that I actually really enjoyed the change of scenery only because I liked the style of these trees. I liked the style of the camp. I, I kind of liked shooting there. I thought it brought kind of a fresh kind of take on it in a way. Um, like I, I really enjoyed the sharp pointy edges, everything, everything up there was in triangles and, and angled and sharp and dangerous and it looked dangerous. And I just thought that the film had such a great aesthetic to it that if you're going to go back and say, Hey, all right, you know that you have camp crystal Lake, you know, that we're building on mythos and doing Friday the 13th, that if you're going to go back and you're going to, you know, have a chance to kind of restate camp crystal Lake, like, give it a little bit more scope, make it a little bit bigger. I think that this is kind of a good example of how you could do that. So, you know, the different levels going to the different levels of the camp and things like that. Um, I kind of, I, I don't know. I really enjoyed the look of the film um, and the look of the way everything, you know, it, it kind of gave it a grand scopiness, which I think um, that the other films kind of lack, you know, you probably get it in Freddy versus Jason because it's a $50 million film. You get a little bit more scope. They shot that up in, uh, you know, in British Columbia um, or Vancouver. Um, well, I guess that's the same place. <laughs> um, but, the, you know, so they have that, they had that thing. And I always like that. I always kind of like the, the, the larger than life feel of it. Um, and, you know, it's just because I'm a big fan of part six, I think. I think I like that aspect when it started to feel larger than life. So I think that's one thing we went for with utilizing the surroundings that we had, knowing we were shooting in Big Bear and we had those big mountain roads and you know, the trees and the, the lakes and everything that we could shoot around, you know, in Arizona too. I mean, that's when it really, the, you know, that's when it really changed. But, um, you know, we kind of took advantage of that. Like, let's show the natural beauty of this area. And it's, you know, it's beautiful to look at. I know it's not Jersey, but it's still, you know, it's still beautiful. Absolutely. And the drones, 
obviously really set the tone. And I think that's why a lot of people make the comments that they do because the drones really show the difference in the trees because mm-hmm. as film, like this is going to be essentially a direct sequel to part one. You expect the landscape to kind of look just like that. So for me, mm-hmm. the, the only thing that really, I mean, there's a couple minor things because nothing's ever perfect, but some, some things are just opinion for me. The only thing that could have made this better for the most part would have been if you could have shot it at the original part one filming location, because then it yeah. would have been problem solved. Here We got the yeah, exact that, same set. And we would have done probably the exact same thing. We would have found a way to make that camp really feel way out there um, to really make that road that re- leads out there feel like it's not just right out of town. I mean, it's a drive into town, you know, um, just like the camp that we shot at. So I think that, that that was all I was going for. And I think that that's what Victor Miller intention in the first film was to make it feel like Camp Crystal Lake was far away from any type of, you know, safe, you know, any type of safety, any, any type of, you know, parental figure that can come in and save the day. He wanted them to make it feel like it was out there. So that was kind of the inspiration for Never Hike Alone was going back to those roots of like, before you do anything else in telling the story of this film, you have to remind the audience that this is all about isolation. And this is all about being alone and being somewhere where no one can help you. And that's what Friday the 13th is supposed to be about when you're, you least expect it, something's going to get. So it was kind of going back into that theme. And I think that you know, being able to shoot at the original camp would have been icing on the cake to go in and re, you know, be able to redress those scenes as they were. And then, you know, give them the 35 year or 37 year, like aging treatment. That would have been really cool to like, not just go in and put a bed with Jason's name on the header, but like go in and actually say, look, we're back. We're back to where we started. And I think you'd really get that force awakens feeling after that. <laughs> Absolutely. Especially with the drone view technology of today. And mm-hmm. you did a great job with that of, of setting the isolation scene, like you just mentioned with that. So definitely a great job on that. But yeah, if you could have shot there, that would have been icing on the cake. Another thing mm-hmm. I've heard people talk about, and I did notice this too, and Lando and I kind of discussed it. So, but I'm sure there's an explanation for that, but the footsteps of Jason seem like thundering to me. When I watched it yeah. the first time, I'm like, wow, those footsteps, like he sounds like a giant come through the woods. Yeah, man, he, it, they, those, they're loud. <laughs> they're really, and it, and we were going for that. I mean, the original intention, like we sat down, I was like, listen, like there's going to be a difference in weight when these two characters are running. When I hear Kyle running around, like it's okay. It should be light, fast, you know, very quick. I was like, when I hear Jason, like, I want to hear his presence. I want him to be like a goddamn T-Rex, like shaking the whole place when people are in their seats in this theater. Cause I was really thinking about like at the time, like the Telluride premiere and like, you know, I really wanted to do something that like when people were watching the film, they were going to feel the bass in the seats when he stepped and things like that. And in the process of doing that, um, we were building it and shaping it. And then we started kind of running out of time. And I said, you know, it's good enough. Cause we got to do, you know, cause when you're working on a film, I mean, it's only one element and you're trying to build a 55 minute piece. Um, and there's so much sound design in there. I don't think people notice, like people will say like, oh, the sound design sucks because the footsteps are bad. It's like, well, if you actually listen to the whole film, there's a lot of really great sound design in there. And we did leave the footsteps maybe a little hot, but you know, at the end of the day, you just kind of, kind of go, yep, that's, that's the way it is. But we wanted Jason to walk with weight. We wanted him to know when he was coming after Kyle, when he's walking through the woods, you can hear him far away or if he's outside, you can hear him approaching that, you know, that he's a force and that there's you know and he's you know and he's something to be reckoned with and we thought that would be a nice kind of audible cue to like bring him in and out um of scenes and things like that and then when he wants to he can turn it off you know he can go into stock mode um which 
but if I think about it, it's like in the game, you can actually hear him um, walking around um, and you can hear his footsteps and then he can go into stock mode and he can kind of turn it off. And even though I wasn't really, you know, I wasn't trying to copy that, but at the same time, we kind of tried to do that with the film was that like when he's lumbering around and he's, he's going after Kyle, like you can feel that weight, you can feel that kind of power coming after him. And then, um, and then when he wants to, he can turn it off. Um, and kind of move around and being able to slip through the shadows and sneak up on him when he's there. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of our way of, of Jason, like knowing what he is and how he can attack. Um, we kind of tried to work that in there, but as far as the steps go, it was just, you know, we left him a little, left him a little hot, but that's just kind of the, the name of the game when you're trying to do a bunch of things and you can't get to everything. And sometimes when you, you know, you look at, you listen to it afterwards, you go, Oh, maybe I would have changed that or I would have done that. But you know that we always wanted to do that, and I, you know, I stand by it. I'm, I'm sorry they're too hot, but, um, oh well. <laughs> I mean, they're they're a little hot. Like I said, I did notice it at first. I'm, that really stuck out to me, and I figured, well, there's probably a reason for that because mm-hmm. knowing all the conversations we've had and everything that I know, there's everything's for a reason. You're methodical in what you what you were doing, so I'm sure that, like like you just explained, that's why we wanted we wanted to try to achieve that that vibe with Jason. So that makes sense to me. And I'm, yeah, I'm we sure were now, going for something. Yeah. Yeah. And probably now that if you could change something, you probably would tone it down a, a little bit, at least I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you talk to any filmmaker, they'll go in and they'll keep tinkering with their films to the end of time. Just ask George Lucas. It's just like, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, when you're making, especially when you're working on independent productions, you, you got, you're, you're going 5,000 different directions. You're, you know, I was working on score, sound design, um, color timing, um, mixing, you know, there was still music that I had coming in and getting mixed for like the rock tracks and things like that. So like when you're doing that and you're juggling a lot of things, like things are bound to fall through the cracks. And the first time I listened to the mix, I got to listen to it in a giant theater and it sounded great. And then I had to wait for things to get exported. And by the time it lands in my lap and I listened to it kind of on my system, which it also sounds really, really good on, I still don't notice it. It isn't until I started listening to it, like on my phone and like on a computer speaker and things like that. I know I was like, Oh, well, the way we've mixed it, this really cuts through. I notice it now. And I know what people are talking about because when we were listening, I mean, it sounded great. It was well balanced and everything. It's just sometimes in different systems, it will sound different, but those are things that when you're working for a real studio that you can have something exported and you can go back in the next day, listen to it on every different type of thing, you know, have them re-export it again because, you know, you have it in your budget. For us, we only had so much money to go in. We can only do things so many times. So when we did our final export, there was no going back. You know what I mean? It was like we were getting it and we had to move forward because that's what we could afford. And that's, you know, and that, that those are the sacrifices you make as, as an independent filmmaker. But at the same time, within that allotted amount of time, it's our responsibility to get it as good as possible. So, you know, overall, I super stand by it. Are there things in there that I nitpick and wish I could go in and kind of nudge and tuck away? Absolutely. But that's kind of the nature of filmmaking is at some point you got to put it down. You got to share it with everybody else and whatever mistakes you made, you just learn from them and get better next time. Totally understandable. And of course the anticipation of wanting to get it out there because it is so highly anticipated, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I guess the last thing we'll address that I've seen others mention, I kind of thought the same myself. I think me and Lando discussed it too, was, okay, Drew's character, Kyle. So mm-hmm. we'll just we'll just refer to him as Kyle. Yeah. So Kyle, 
the first time I watched it, I'm like, okay, Kyle, you did such a good job of isolating him. And of course we all know that he's out there and there's going to be confrontation with Jason. And then it happens. And I'm thinking, and especially in a couple of the scenes, I'm like, Kyle doesn't really look that frightened. The, a normal person would be scared shitless. Some of the facial expressions where he kind of is almost nonchalant, like, eh, you know, I'm going to fight this guy, whatever. And I'm thinking, man, in most, what we're used to seeing in most Friday films, these people are scared to death, but he didn't mm-hmm. seem, he didn't seem that scared in some scenes, at least to me anyway. I, Lando, what were, what were your thoughts on that? I can't remember exactly. I thought, you know, there were some moments where it was just like, no, you know, yeah, you'd think it'd be a little bit different than that. But I thought overall, you know, I thought it, it was strong. And I think is, you know, part of it would have to be go back and watch it again to, to focus a little bit more on that. But I know something that you talked about is uh, the window scene, and, you know, being, you know, flying out the window, that that was something that uh, stuck with you a little bit. So maybe, maybe you want to talk about that. Yeah, maybe that's where I first noticed it, where... The initial, I guess, confrontation starts and it's, I'm thinking, man, you know, he just got, you know, there's Jason and holy shit, it's on. And he knows that he's got to do whatever he has to do to make it out alive because he's there by himself. And I, maybe that's where I guess the thought of, he doesn't look as scared as you would think that he would be. And of Mm -hmm. course I understand that there's got to be some, some filler in there, but Jason does look a little rusty in a couple scenes where normally he would just be hacking the shit out of these people. But then again, when you have multiple kills, if you have 18 kills in a film, you have time to do that. Whereas this film, obviously watching it a second time, and I'm like, okay, objectively, Jason probably, if the camp's been abandoned, he hasn't really seen anybody in a while. He would be rusty. Mm-hmm. So there's there's both thoughts on that. But I just remember thinking a couple times that, Kyle doesn't really look all that terrified like he does in some other scenes. So that was just my thought on it anyway. All right. I mean, the, in, in that scene in particular, there, there are two kind of like really key shots that are, that are meant to kind of show that. And that's the first time we kind of pan up to, to Drew um, or Kyle and you see it kind of, you see the axe land between his face and then we tilt up to his face. The expression on there, I think is pretty good. I mean, it's this shocked expression of like, Oh, like, kind of a holy shit expression like i can't believe this thing like it's all these things i can't believe it's real and we really worked with with drew on that and being like hey when when the camera hits your face on this you're gonna be like like holy shit but before he even has a chance to be scared um jason attacks him and he goes into fight or flight mode and he fights and you know i think that that's something i think in other friday the 13th films what you see is is people turn into dread because they end up discovering dead bodies first um and like multiple dead bodies that are their best friends so it's like this emotional thing they're going through and then jason shows up so they're already hysterical mess in this version our character's finding things but he's kind of working his way through each thing in his own way the first time he sees the blood he backs up and he drops his stuff and he gets kind of startled but the more he sees the more he becomes desensitized to it and realizes it's just a story this stuff's still up this is going to be great for my youtube definitely um, and just try to keep my composure and look cool for my fans and then work his way through it. By the time he finds Pamela's head, it's shock, but there's so much shock of what's going on. I don't know what's going on rather than going into that typical Friday hysterical screaming and running around with your head cut off. And I don't know if you guys saw um, Death Note. You guys see that? Not yet. Um, so in that, film, 
Okay, so in that film, and any any listeners that have seen that film will probably know what I'm talking about. In that thing, in the film, there's a scene where like, and I'm, I don't care, I'm going to spoil it because I think if you haven't seen it by now, your fault. Um, it came out before <laughs> Ned Heigl on. Uh, <laughs> um, there's a scene where the character first encounters like the demon creature and he screams like a girl. And it was funny, but I saw people complaining about that, about like how him screaming like a girl was so over the top and so um kind of gen- like weird to them like i thought it was hilarious i was dying i was like this kid's screaming like a little girl it's kind of funny he's like hiding under the table and stuff like that and i think that if you compare that character and drew's character they're completely opposite things like that his instinct was to run hide and be scared and drew's instinct or kyle's instinct is to fight and survive and the other the other shot in that scene um is after he gets up after being whacked off the tree um and he sits up and he sees like kind of thing. It's again, it's another shocked reaction. Like, holy shit. Like he keeps having these moments like, like he can't go on and then gets up and sees it and, and has to keep going, looking over his shoulder while he's running away. Um, the panic of running away and not really being able to tell where he's going and not seeing the sign and tripping. I think that those are all signs of, of fear and adrenaline running through us. And that's kind of how we were building it. We were doing our, our fear through fear and adrenaline rather than hysteria which is kind of the the model of the old Friday the 13th where it's, you, you get characters in a hysterical mode and you know everything's going crazy and they have to collect themselves and do it and in our way his adrenaline goes up he injures himself and he real, and he collects himself realizing that if I don't pay attention if I don't stay on my shit I'm going to die so it's it's about him controlling his emotions the entire time and you see like moments where he gets angry and moments where he gets scared and where he tries to hide and things like that so we tried to show a range um, you know, I, I think that that's kind of like how we were trying to portray it. And after watching it numerous times, that's kind of where my thought process went is this is a f- breath of fresh air to Friday. And like you said, usually there is the hysterical, oh, a dead body just fell on me or <laughs> I seen all my friends dead or whatever. So I'm thinking at first your rat, you know, your reaction is, yeah, he doesn't really look that scared. And then watching it again and again, and it's kind of like, okay, you know, I do kind of, I guess I can kind of see where they're going with this, but your explanation was definitely right on point. So I definitely can see what you were trying to achieve with that. And it totally makes sense now. Cool. All right. Well, let's move on to, I've seen some information and talked to a couple individuals and to my understanding, and I'll let you go into the fine details, but to my understanding, very soon there's going to be replica never hike alone hockey masks made from the screen use mold. That is correct. Um, on March 15th of this year, we're going to actually do a Blu-ray campaign for never hike alone. And in that campaign, we're going to offer um, basically screen matched um, never hike alone masks done from the original mold that made um, the never hike alone mask for the film. Uh, we've partnered with uh, Brandon Scott Murphy from sculptor die um, we had the mold shipped from CFX to his house. We asked CFX to do it, and they didn't have time in their schedule. And through this, you know, through making this film and, you know, knowing you, Nathan, and knowing a few other people, um, I was introduced to Brandon, and we'd become friends, and he decided to take the challenge. And so in the uh, Indiegogo campaign, we're going to offer the mask as one of the rewards. Oh, awesome. And Brandon, mm-hmm. of course, does great work. I own some of Brandon's stuff, mutual friend as well. And he, I know he's looking forward to it. And there's a mm-hmm. lot of people, 
that have been interested in replica masks. I've seen on different social media sites, people asking about a replica mask. I, I believe there's a couple other individuals that are making a replica, but obviously not off of the screen use mold to my knowledge that uh, they're basically just put them on a, a blank from whatever film I've, I've seen one or two floating around, but I don't know what blanks they used. So yeah, I think there's one floating around from a blank from a Freddy versus Jason. It looks, I mean, they look pretty good. I mean, it looks like the other, the other films um under the knees and then i think one person molded their own custom one so it's kind of like their own their own version of it the way they saw it from the film so i think that's kind of cool like i'm not i'm not against it i think it's kind of fun to see people you know because there's different types of every type of mask out there and i think that that's kind of a compliment so you know at, at the same time like we know that people really want this mask and and that and people really want the blu-ray they wanted physical media so we were like you know what like people are asking for it Let's figure out a way to do it. So we came up with the idea of running the Indiegogo, doing the same thing that we did last time with the with the film production is that all the physical media production and the production of everything will be paid for by the Indiegogo campaign and all of our proceeds will be donated once again uh, to Penny Pines. And I think it's called Care Fire to help with um, the fires that were in uh, San, uh, San Bernardino, not San Bernardino, but uh, Santa Barbara and uh, Ventura County. It's actually where, where Andrew lives, our, our lead star. Um, and, uh, there were mudslides and all these different things that happened up there. So we want to help with those relief efforts and do something good with the sale of the masks and the sale of the physical media and, you know, give the fans what they want. Cause you know, ever since we released the film, we've got a lot of requests for Blu-rays and masks and all sorts of things. So we're trying to, as we're putting never hike alone to rest and letting it do its thing. Um, you know, we're trying to give the fans whatever we can, um, with the means that we have. And obviously merchandise, I'm assuming, still available at WompStopFilms.com? No, actually, we took that down. Uh, we got down to the bare minimum, and we gave kind of the rest of it away. Um, we will be doing some convention runs this year, and we'll be doing some stuff. I, might, I have some extra posters on me and stuff, and if people want to reach out to contact at WompStopFilms.com, we can work something out if, if you know, you're interested in the poster or something like that. But as far as T-shirts go, they're all gone. I have some stickers left, but it wasn't worth keeping the store up for that stuff understandable yeah and... we liquidated our we liquidated our original uh kickstarter thing we had some stuff left over we wanted to make it available and once it was liquidated we uh we shut it down now you mentioned conventions it's only february so convention season will be kicking off before mm -hmm. you know it actually so what dates do you have in mind as of right now obviously this list could change at any time but what are you anticipating to be appearing at so far uh, right now, the first one we got into is Crypticon Seattle, uh, May 4th through the 6th of, the, of this year. Um, we're excited about that. Uh, we're going to do a screening, live Q&A. I'm going to be there. Um, Andrew's going to try to be there. I think he will be. Um, and then Kyle Klein, one of the producers, will be there. He's actually a Seattle native, so we want him to go home and uh, go to his hometown and, and show off the movie there. Um, and then we're, uh, we actually partnered with a, a fan of the film, and a big Friday the 13th fan uh, reached out to me. Uh, we're going to set up... Um, uh, a screening in uh, upstate New York. Um, it's going to be a dual screening with uh, Jason Lives and Never Hike Alone. So they've paid to have Jason Lives screened at this theater, and then they're going to do an extra hour and do a Never Hike Alone screening right afterwards. Um, it's uh, this kid named Joe Gallo, and it's called Track Cinema. It's in Auburn, New York. Um, so that's going to be April 13th of this year, Friday the 13th. Uh, they're going to do a midnight double screening of uh, Jason Lives and uh, and, uh, Friday, and and Never Hike Alone. Yeah, like I said, convention season will be here before you know it. There's a lot of great mm -hmm. shows coming up this year. Now that you mentioned the Blu-ray, though, as far mm -hmm. as that's concerned, do you have any 
anticipated or a roundabout release date that the fans who want that, that Blu-ray copy can expect that? Or is that basically dependent on how the, 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 uh, the Indiegogo does? Well, well, the way the crowdfunding will work is that we'll run it from March 15th to April 13th. Um, once we close the account or once we close the campaign, um, it takes about two and a half weeks for, you know, for the, for the money to transfer. Once that happens, we'll submit all of our invoices. Uh, we'll get all the media produced, um, probably take a couple weeks. And then we're hoping to partner with something, um, with some type of service and we're trying to figure out which one it is right now. We don't know who it is yet, but basically a service where we can send all of our merchandise to them and they're going to fulfill the orders this time. Cause I felt like it took us a while to get through all of our Kickstarter orders last time. It was just kind of me and my wife doing it. And then sometimes some people will come and help out and it took a while to get everybody's stuff out. And if you're a Kickstarter listening and you're sorry, sorry, it took so long. Everybody just got everything just recently. We just sent out the last of our props. Um, but uh, we feel like for this, we want it to go out, be really, really fast. So I'm, I'm you know, by midsummer, the latest, I think we'll have the, the Blu-ray out. Um, we're going to hopefully include a camp tour. So we're going to do a Never Hike Alone style walk, camp, hike up the uh, up the path to where where the camp is and do a, a tour through where we filmed everything. Me uh, and Drew are going to do it and, and kind of walk through with GoPros and have somebody film it as we're doing it and kind of do it never hike alone style. It's going to be pretty fun. And speaking of Drew, Drew was on the show last year and he will be back on again in the near future to talk about all the things that we couldn't talk about before. So, but yeah, man, you know, I just want to say a big thank you for bringing your contribution to our favorite franchise. I love the film. Obviously, just like everybody else, I wish the film was longer if it would have been filmed at the part one location, icing on the cake, all the little bullshit critiques and everything. It is what it is, but I love it. And I just want to say a big thank you. I think it's a great breath of fresh air to the Friday community, especially not getting the film that we thought we were going to get. And of course the Friday, the 13th part three memoriam documentary in combination with the two of those, it was just a nice holdover until we hopefully get that 13th film. So Big thanks, man. I appreciate all your hard work and everybody that was involved. No, you're welcome, man. It, it, you know, we greatly appreciate everything that that everyone said about the project. It's been very, you know, it's been great to hear that. I mean, especially what you said, Lando, feeling like a fresher breath air, like you've watched it, like it's the first time you've watched a Friday in a long time. Like, you know, that was the goal. You know, we wanted to see if we could do it, and we didn't know if we could. And to see the reaction, it's, you know, it's mission accomplished. So it it feels really good, and, and we appreciate all the support that. Uh, you know, the Camp Blood podcast has given us and you guys, have, you know, kept in touch. And it, it's been really great getting to, you know, check in with you guys and update you about the project. It's good to be on this side of it after going through everything that we went through to make the film and, and everything we were working for. And, and we really appreciate you guys supporting the film. Hey, we're here to help out in any way that we can. Anytime that you want to come on or anybody does and wants to get a word out about something, whether that be the Kickstarter or just anything else in general. We're, we're here for you anytime you want. You know you're always welcome. So, Lando, uh, any final thoughts? No, I think you pretty much touched on everything I wanted to say. It's like, as you said, as a fan, I'm just thankful that this exists. I mean, it really was it really was something that felt like, you know, this is what we've been waiting for. So it was very nice to be able to just see that and enjoy it. Like you said, everybody's sitting around and enjoying the Friday 13th film for the first time in a long time, and you guys definitely accomplished that. I appreciate that, man.
All right. Well, big thanks to Vince for joining us tonight. And that wraps up another episode of Return to Camp Blood. So please rate and review wherever the hell you listen to the show at. And if you haven't seen Never Hike Alone, shame on you. Take your ass to YouTube and check it out for free. Pass the link on to all your fellow Friday fans. You can also check out the film's Facebook page for more information and some awesome behind-the-scenes photos. They've been great at releasing all kinds of great behind-the-scenes content. There's no lack of that, so go over there to Facebook and check that out, too. This episode was brought to you by Never Hike Alone from Womp Stomp Films. Until next time.